Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi, mining community. Welcome again to another episode of the Dig Deep the Mining podcast. And today's guest is Sam Retalik, Head of People and Culture at the Independence Group who are leading ASX listed exploration and mining company based in Perth, who have a strategic strategic focus on high quality assets of scale and longevity, uh, namely in gold, nickel and copper. And they have assets in WA and exploration developments in WA and Northern Territory. Sam has been in human resources for a number of years and joined IGO back in 2012. So she has a wealth of experience in workforce culture and understands what mining companies need to do to change, develop and grow with this ever changing world we live in. Sam's going to be speaking at the upcoming IMARC conference in Melbourne from the 29th to the 31st of October. And I would be announcing a discount code at the end of this podcast to save some money on a ticket. Dig Deep has partnered with the International Mining Resources Conference and as part of our partnership over the coming weeks, you will hear from a, a number of keynote speakers that will be at the event in Melbourne discussing the entire mining supply chain from exploration to investment, production through to optimization. So the dates again are the 29th to 31st of October. So keep listening to the end and I'll announce a code to get a discount on the ticket for the event. So, want to start this podcast, welcoming Sam. So, hi Sam, how are you going? Well, Rob, how are you doing? I'm not too bad, I'm not too bad. We're doing this um, a bit later in the day over in Perth, so um want to uh, just get a better understanding a little bit about yourself, about your background, um, how your career's actually developed to where you are now, and then I've got some questions I'd like to ask you around, obviously, workforce culture, um, which I think is a really important subject in a... In today, in today's, well, I suppose it's always been a, an important aspect of a of a mining company or any company in developing and growing their business. So, if you can tell us a little bit about your uh, background um, and where you are today. So, I, I guess um, I, I come from a very untraditional mining background. Um, well, it's not a mining background at all. So um, I started my career um, when I was very young um, uh, as a registered nurse. Um, but didn't want to do that for a long period of time. And so I actually spent lots of time in um, department store retailing um, and, uh, you know, worked in that area for um, a number of years. It was interesting kind of, um, I guess, apprenticeship in many ways. Um, I I call it like a a pocket MBA um, because... Um, it was a little bit, the business that I ran um, was a little bit of everything. There was a bit of marketing, there was a bit of sales, there was um, certainly personnel management, which was what it was called in those days. Um, you know, there was um, P&L responsibility, um, you know, there was industrial relations, you know, there was procurement, you know, it was really, really fantastic training. 
Um, I went from there and I, I was poached and I went to work for um, a, a local airline. So um, people in Australia will know that Ansett Airlines, which yeah. subsequently um, folded. Um, I, I always joke, uh, it, my last role with Ansett was to work in the business recovery program, which clearly I didn't do particularly well in because the business <laughs> didn't recover. So um, um, I'm sure it wasn't just me. No, um, but uh, that was really interesting in terms of um, leading remote workforces um, because obviously, it, so my role there initially was to uh, was the, the state manager for the flight attendant department. So that is, that's about as remote as you can get. Um, and then through the course of my time in retail and that, um, I, I went on to work in some HR roles, which then uh, there was, I, I went and um, did some work in consulting and have worked for a range of different companies, so legal firms and um, ended up in mining um, through a consulting role. So um, I, I think it's really, I, I find it really interesting, the perspective that I bring to my role now is one that is not traditionally mining um, and that has kind of little bits of elements of a whole range of different industries, which are transferable, yep. um, but which I guess give me quite a distinct and different perspective in terms of some of the problems that are universal across businesses, um, which I think traditionally mining have thought were only their problems. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, they're common to all businesses. Yeah. And so yeah, I, I think it's it's been a really interesting journey. I feel incredibly fortunate that I have that kind of um, – portfolio of different experiences yeah and in your current role at the moment if you can ex uh, explain to the audience what what you do and i suppose what your what your main aim is to do with igo in terms of people and culture um yeah if you can tell the audience what what you do in your organization and yeah. so i suppose some of the key lessons that you may have learned as well um yep. before i obviously got some other questions and other topics that we can discuss Sure. Um, well, my role is is actually um, looking after people and culture. So in many organisations, um, it's called human resources, but we take a slightly different slant. Um, you know, it is the thing, you know, people and culture, we believe, is the thing that enables the entire rest of the business. There is no, no achievement of strategy without the people and the culture that is implicitly there, um, uh, you, you know, in any any business. So um, my role is to oversee that people function um, and the building of the culture in the organisation um, from a, both a, from a humanistic point of view, but also from a commercial point of view too. So I guess I'm fortunate that I come from a commercial background um, and I think that, you know, it, it's that kind of confluence of those things that um, I guess build... Uh, the strategies for people and culture in our organisation. You know, it's not in isolation. It's, it is absolutely the bedrock of all of the things that we do. So on a day-to-day -day basis for me, that means that, you know, it's every element of that and, and the strategy and the oversight of every element of that. So, you know, it's, it's things like learning and development, it's things like remuneration and reward, it's industrial relations, it's, it's actually culturing. And we'll talk about that a bit later in terms yeah. of we have a quite a deliberate strategy around culturing. Um, uh, look, it's um, it's about celebration, recognition. Um, you know, it, it's quite a broad role, um, but I think one of the things I would stress is it is broad, it is people-based, but fundamentally it's commercial. Yeah. 
What would you say the main differences are from the industries that you've previously worked in to where you're working now in mining? Because I suppose mining is a, a, a different a different type of industry to many other industries. Um, and you've worked in different industries. What would you say the main different main differences are? Um, well, it, it, you know, it's funny. People ask me that all the time. I, I think there are lots of things that are the same. I, I think it's the language we use in mining that try and make us different. Okay. Um, you know, I think there are. I think there's been some things in the past. It, it, it was traditionally quite hierarchical. You know, it was quite male dominated, and I think those kinds of um, structural things um, have made it have a slightly different flavour. But it's really no different um, in terms of, you know, working in a hospital or a nursing background. That too was hierarchical absolutely yeah. in those days it was also quite dominated by one gender um so it, it's an interesting um uh sameness but difference um you know it's always been very it's an industry that's been very um uh, I, I guess driven by a safety focus but many other industries have been driven by that too yeah um so it's really a combination of a whole range of things, which I think are slightly, you know, are in many ways about a legacy um, of, of the past. Um, but I also see it as quite a progressive industry. So, yeah. um, you know, and in many ways that's a difference as well because, you know, it has embraced automation. You know, yeah. there are, or many businesses have, not all, um, it's embraced automation. It's embraced innovation. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly been something that has looked outwards, you know, and, and we are in, in WA leaders in the world in a number of things, you know, mining engineering, you know, G there's a range of things that we are progressive in. Um, so I, I think we can isolate ourselves and say we're different, except I think we're the same in different ways with a range of industries. And if you look, you can see that. If you choose to see where we're different, you don't see that. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose talking to uh, obviously a number of guests on this podcast, but also candidates on a daily basis and clients, I I hear sometimes that mining has an image problem. And oh. is that is that to do with obviously is that to do with culture of organizations or is it culture of the whole industry? Um so I just wondered if that if you feel that is a issue, is it is it companies? Is it an industry as a whole? What do what does the industry need to do to, I suppose, encourage people to enter the industry? Obviously, there's been quite a few reports that there isn't enough people entering the, entering the industry. And I know from yes. recruiting certain roles, a lot of people not going through the education system. Why would that be? Especially in Australia, where that's predominantly your main your main industry why why isn't people going why aren't people studying for various mining related subjects why are they withheld um again is it a image image issue could it is it the company is it companies um companies should be driving this or is it the industry driving this what what would you what would you say your thoughts are around that so it's, it's something that we have given a lot of thought to. Um, you know, we are 310 or so people. So we, you know, relatively speaking, we're, we're a, from a from an employee body point of view, not a big group of people. Um, but we, we are part of an industry in WA, obviously, that is a significant contributor. Um, 
I, I think it does have an image problem. And we've been quite, you know, vocal in, in, in the public and certainly our CEO, Peter Bradford, you know, it, who has been very um, involved in AMIC and also in, in with Curtin University. Um, I, I liken it. The, the image problem is really interesting. Yeah, I, I, and, and I think this is one of the reasons people don't study it is because people don't actually understand... Um, the kinds of careers that can they can have in mining. So, you know, I, I quite often say to people, um, you know, if if um, little you know little um, Peter or or um, Karen comes home to you as a parent and says, you know, mum or dad, I would love to be um, a doctor. You know, most people say, oh, my gosh, how, how lovely is that? You know, that's fantastic. You know, my sense is that if somebody comes home, you know, in the past, maybe it's not the same yeah. now, and says, mum or dad, I would love to be a mining engineer. It's a dirty, um, dirty image. Oh, <laughs> and, and I think, you know, it, it sort of very subtly, I think what parents in the past have done is, well, well, that's fine, you know, little Johnny or Karen, you know, um, you know, you've got lots of time to make a decision. You don't have to do it. So there's this very, there's this underpinning of um, kind of support for those very, very, you know, um, understood professions versus, a, oh, yeah, you know, that's a bit, da that's a bit dirty, that's a bit dangerous. Throw in the gender card too in terms of if you're a girl and you're, a, you're going to be a mining engineer in a dangerous male-dominated industry, you know, I can understand why in the past that might not have been that palatable to mm. parents. Um, so, you know, from that point of view, um, the the kind of the societal view of mining just hasn't moved on. You know, you know, we are we we spend a lot of time on safety. We 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 at IGO spend a lot of time on culture. We spend a lot of time, you know, developing the skills of people who are in a whole range of different roles. Um, and, you know, we have accountants, we have lawyers, we have, you know, teachers, we have n nurses, we have, you know, a whole range of different occupations that work in our business. Mm -hmm. But what is, I, I guess, the image issue is that that concept of it's dirty, it's dangerous, yeah. you know, it's a little bit undesirable. Yeah. Um, the reality of it is, though, you know, it's a sustaining and amazing career that, can can you know can have you travel all over the world can have you work with amazing innovative people um and i just don't think that there are enough people um in the education system per se that really understand that mm. um so our view is we need to really help kids in primary school and early in secondary school before they start choosing their subjects for you know, the leaving or the, you know, the matriculation exams or whatever you call, you know, in the world, whatever you call that very final part of secondary school. Because by the time you get to that point, um, as an individual, as a student, you've already started, from a psychology point of view, making some decisions about what you're good at and what you want to do. So, yeah. you know, we want it to be a viable option for people to think that's a fantastic thing to do. Um you know, I'm going to pursue a career and, 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 you know, geology and geophysics and mining engineering and metallurgy and, you know, chemical engineering, um, to name a few, you know, surveying, um, are fascinating, you know, enriching careers. Mm. I so mean, it's, it's an image thing. Would you think automation will change that image? image? Um, and also it's a good point. You just, you raised earlier, which I made a note of, um, the actual education system, has the actual education, i.e. say mine engineering degree, has that 
has the curriculum changed from say 20 or 30 years ago especially with automation now becoming more prevalent in the industry has the curriculum changed to adapt automation in in part of the curriculum or is it still stuck in is it still stuck with what they were teaching 20 30 years ago with a little bit of different added extra things but not to the depth of what the industry how if the industry is moving a lot further forward is the education uh, moving in the same direction and as quickly as the as the industry is moving forward no i i what i see you know certainly from the tertiary um sector um I, I see certainly for so we we have an amazing you know West Australian School of Mines and um, you know we've been with, with the the graduates that we've employed we've employed lots of graduates over the years from that school yeah you know I, I see them producing graduates that are second to none you know yeah. uh, you know we we as a company recruit from other parts in Australia obviously and and we've got a big graduate program for our size but Wassum graduates are outstanding you know and and yeah. we have had some outstanding young people come and join us who are absolutely attuned to what's going on you know their their um their scholarly life has been fantastic i I absolutely cannot fault that and and this um wasm had just uh, appointed um i I don't know whether you know sabina shug in wa um yeah. yeah and and you know that to me that is an amazing appointment from the point of view of she's a Wassum graduate she was a mining engineer um you know she has done all sorts of interesting things she's she heads up the um the um uh, women in mining in in um, wa um you know so that's a progressive appointment you know that's a that's a really fantastically brave appointment and and we celebrate that so i don't think that's the issue the issue is the pipeline of kids studying STEM because okay, you know, yeah. you know that's that's not that's becoming better, mm. um, and it's also once they've studied that STEM, so we get them through that funnel of high school, and then getting them into mining related um, careers. I, I think that's the bottleneck. Now it is becoming slightly better, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but um, certainly in the last couple of years, you know, we, we were thinking, gosh, you know, what, what are we going to do? We, we've got people in WA, um, you know, older professionals that are going to have to work till they're hun- 100 yeah. um, because we just don't have that pipeline coming through. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the, the, the unis are not the issue. And, and unis in WA, are, in Australia, are really embracing um, in many ways that concept of um, – um, tailored degrees, micro credentialing, you know, um, they, they're really trying hard to try and tailor these things or these qualifications to fit what industry needs. And they're trying to actually be responsive to what the students need. But you've got to have people enrolling. Yeah. Uh, so I suppose based on that, it's before you actually go to university. So that those people that are studying, st- finishing their school years, they should be then looking to go into the mining industry or be encouraged to go into the mining industry, i.e. Yeah. by encouraging them to go to university and go to, a, obviously, a, a specialist school like Curtin, for instance. So I think that's, that's probably yeah. where that's probably where the, the gap is, where people need to be influenced or the, the, the children need to be influenced to then move forward into studying those particular particular subjects. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you know, our view is, and, and we certainly have done lots of work in our catchment areas mm-hmm. um, with primary and secondary school students where we can, you know, yeah. um, 
running careers fairs or running workshops, um, you know, having kids come to our mind site, um, you know, engaging in that way so that they can see our grads um, and our professionals who are, you know, who are regular people. I mean, you know, I think they're superheroes, but, um, you know, they are people that are doing a job and, and they are loving the job they do. But I think unless we show kids those people who are quite, um, you know, accessible, you know, they're, they're not, they're not um, I, I guess, out of the ordinary. They are ordinary yeah. people being a mining engineer or ordinary people being a geo. You know, sometimes those kids just never get a look at those careers. Um, you know, they're studying, my, they're studying maths or they're studying chem or they're studying physics and um, they don't understand how that comes together. Mm. Um, there's a woman in WA called Susie Urbanic who is running a, um, a program called CORE um, and that's a really interesting program from the point of view that uh, and she she has a hashtag hashtag the real classroom. So she's actually trying to do this kind of interesting um, combination of teaching in a really well-rounded way, so that you actually learn about the mining industry and you learn in a very integrated way science and maths and English and those things together. Um, rather than doing them in siloed units when you're at high school. So you're trying to give them that kind of world view of learning um, or certainly industry view of learning prior to them getting to the point where they actually pick university courses. Yeah. So that's, you know, we've, we've had something to do with her and I think that's a really interesting program because that tries to bridge that gap between what happens at secondary school and choosing a course in a tertiary study. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I- Okay, I want to move on and talk, I suppose, more about mining companies. Um, what do you sort of identify as a good culture? Um, I suppose the main attributes for a mining company to, to sort of better prosper. What would you say the the main? Um, what would you say is a good culture for a mining company? So it's it's funny because by by definition of you saying good culture, that means that there are some bad cultures. Okay, yeah, um, <laughs> and I I think. Um, I don't think there's good or bad. I just think there's appropriate or not. Um, So for me, it's all about, you know, what's the culture that achieves your strategy? Um, And and I think that has to be a conscious choice. So, you know, um, there are some strategies or some, you know, strategic plans that will require culture A. You know, there may be another strategic uh, plan that requires culture B. You know, if you put A with B and B with A, it's not going to work. Um, so for me, it's never good or bad. It's just is it appropriate enough or not? Will it achieve or will will that culture facilitate or underpin your achievement of that strategy? Now, that said, um, I, I, you know, I think that's very different for very diff- a whole bunch of different companies. It's different in mining. It's different for, you know, depending on what you want to achieve. Um, that said, I think broadly there are some desirable characteristics that I would want to have in any culture that I think make it productive. Um, one of those is is creating an environment that allows people to come to work and be their best. Um, and I think um, you have to be brave in terms of how you do that because, you know, when you hire a group of people or a body of employees, you know, by definition you get a whole bunch of diversity. Yeah. So to allow people to come to work and be their best requires some degree of concentration in terms of how do we do that. Um, 
Secondly, I think people, no matter where they're working, no matter what culture they're in, they need to be able, they need to feel like they're making a meaningful contribution um, so to express themselves, able to express themselves. But a meaningful contribution yeah. to achieve a shared purpose. You know, everybody wants to be part of something where they can see what they have done has helped the entity or the team or whatever achieve what they're doing. Um, it is human to want to do that. Um, and then I think the other thing for me would be um, most people want to be seen, seen for who they are and appreciated for who they are. Um, you know, we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion. Diversity is fine. Inclusion really requires me to see you as who you are. You know, what's your story? How can you contribute? How can I get the best from you? Um, and and how then, once I've done that, how do I recognise you and reward you for being you and your contribution to this whole thing? Um, now, I, I've heard companies speak it, but I think, you know, from a good culture point of view, I think people really need to feel it. You know, yeah. it needs to be palpable. Um, and it's not just enough to speak those words. You know, there has to be a group of people in the organisation who see who see others. Yeah. Um, and, and who, you know, who respect them. Yeah. How hard is that to implement then? Because oh. I suppose it depends how big your organisation is. And you could say like junior miners who are very small can start that process. But if you are, say, a mid-tier, not necessarily a bigger company, but a mid-tier company with, I don't know, a few hundred people, and you're not doing that, how do you, how do you actually start that implementation? And obviously it must take a very long time before everyone's on board and we would probably be talking about years but where do you start well we we are a company with a few hundred people obviously yeah. we've got 310 when we started this process we had more people than that um, yeah. so in the last couple of years we've um or certainly the last 18 months or two years we've divested a couple of operations so that's taken our employee population down um how you start that is you start that in a very planned way, yeah, um, you know, and, and what we did was we we looked at what we had. So, you know, we looked at, from a warts and all point of view, we looked at um, our current state, whatever that was, um, across a range of dimensions. Um, and then we thought, well, okay, that's that's good, you know. Um, well, some of it was good. You know, some of that we thought, oh, you know, maybe not so good. Um, and then we said, well, what do we want to be? You know, what's what's at some point, what do we want to aspire to be? What's the culture that we want? What's the culture that will enable our strategy? Um, and, you know, quite literally what we did was we put an action plan between point A and point B in the middle. And we said, what what gets us from where we are now to what we want to be? And what do we have to do? Now, some of the things um, that we had, we kept um, because we thought they were good. We thought we could see that that enables us moving forward. Some of the things we thought were not congruent, they they, they were not, um, I guess, cohesive. Um, and so we, we worked out ways that we could shift that to a state that actually did enable what we wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but I guess my message is that it was quite deliberate, you yeah. know, um, in my view, wishing a cultural change um, will it, it won't occur, you know. Um, and I think if you put a very deliberate strategy in pros in place, you can actually achieve quite a 
considerable amount of change in quite a shorter period of time because you have a plan. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I say to people, you know, hope isn't really a strategy. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, you know, it's a nice thought. You know, I, I really wish that we could get there, but you know, unless you've got a roadmap, um, you're going to get a bit lost. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it has to be quite deliberate. Now, obviously, there are complexities for with a bigger organisation. You know, yeah. if if you've got, uh, and I can hear people saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's easy if you've got 310 people. You know, not so easy if you've got 10,000. The theory is the same. Yep. You know, it, it same is. Same process. What, absolutely. I mean, it, it obviously involves more people, mm. um, but it, it becomes about energy. You know, yep. it's, it's you, you know, the the situation, you know, I, I guess the, the question for me is, you know, what's the cost if you don't? Um, you know, if you don't have this as cohesive, you know, what are you missing as a business? You know, what won't you achieve? And and for me, there's, you know, there's a lot that you won't achieve because you're really not realising your potential. Yeah. And how did you communicate this back to the employees? Obviously, you can probably say, look, this is what we're going looking to do. This is what we're looking to achieve to obviously meet our objectives. Did you sort of give questionnaires out to your employees? Did you find out what, what they're feeling, what their thoughts are? Did you interview people? to say, look, this is what we're looking to do. What do you think about this? How did you go about communicating all of this to to the workforce? So for us, um, the word is co-creation. Okay. So, um, for me, you know, I, I just don't think, um, you know, communicating something to the workforce. I mean, of course we've communicated, you know. Yeah. You, 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 of course we have. But um, from a culturing point of view, the focus has really been on including them. Yeah. Um, in the whole process, you know, I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I can, and, and we, we, we've talked about it, we're, we're just going through the process now of, of, of reimagining our values. Um, and it's been a co-creation process, you know, five years ago, when we came up with the six values that we have, um, you know, we, we sat in a room. And um, we thought, all right, you know, we're, we're a bunch of, of you know, of, of, of diligent, responsible adults, you know, what should these values be? Um, and, you know, I think four or five of the six were things that, you know, were values that probably 80 or 90% of the organisations in the entire world have yeah. um, because they're sensible and, and, you know, they are, you know, universal, I guess. You know, why wouldn't you want to have teamwork, you know? Yeah. Why wouldn't you want people to be diligent? Um, but, you know, ultimately what we've done now is and, and what we've done with the culturing and, and, and the whole creation of, of where we are today is actually talk to our people and say, what do you want this to be? Yeah. You know, one of the really interesting things is how we created our purpose. So we went to our people and said, you know, this is what we aspire to be as an organisation. You know, why are you here? You know, what do you what do you really want to do? You know, what gets you up in the morning? You know. And why does that matter? And we ask them, you know, and, and what's the point of all of that? You know, why do you do this? Why do you want to come to work? You know, why is that important? You know, why is that reason important? And so yeah. through a co process of discussing or, you know, certainly discussion groups, you know, we, we came up with the, the some really, really clear themes in the business about what those people in our business wanted us to be. Right. And the clearest theme of all was the fact, and it is our, you know, it's the, our purpose is they wanted to make a difference. Hmm. You know, so far, you know, a long way away from a throwaway line, they wanted to actually get to the end of the day and they wanted to feel like over a day, a month, a week, a year, that we as an organisation and them contributing to that had made a difference 
to someone or something or you know some group of people in the world now from a culturing point of view that's really powerful because that then drives a lot of the things that we do you know does this or doesn't it make a difference you know what are we really doing here you know does this contribute to anything or is this just frivolous yeah yeah um, what do you say is a common theme in why mining companies are lacking a good working culture? And obviously, you mentioned good or bad, but what what would you say? Why are companies lacking a, I suppose, cohesive or could be a more cohesive sort of a, a arrangement with their workers to have a better organisation? Uh, well, look, I think some do. Yeah. Um, I think some don't. Um, yeah. You know, I think it gets, it, you know, in many ways it gets back to that concept of, you know, does it enable your strategy or does it not? You know, I mean, it, it, for me, it's always outside looking in. You know, you don't know, we don't know what that is, you know, yeah. and I think everybody's got a view. Um, I think in at many times people just don't start with that kind of the combination of strategy and culture together. You know, they, they see it as, as, as two quite separate things. You know, somebody dictates what the strategy is going to be. And then some HR department defines what the culture is going to be. Um, so it's it's quite disconnected. Yeah. Uh, and I think the other thing too is that it's not co-created. You know, there's no the, people people don't feel it. You know, it's not it, it's not something that they live. Yeah. It's just something that they come to. Yeah. And I suppose that having those meetings with your workers, find out what they actually want, then creating something from that that's their buy-in and if, you, if oh. you're all in and if you're all in sort of um got the same outlook based on what you're looking to achieve then they all feel part of that and i suppose that's how you build a better culture as opposed to saying a company saying right this is how we want to be this is what we're going to do yeah and hopefully everyone follow hopefully everyone follows suit which most people probably don't and that's where you probably get a culture that isn't isn't good, I suppose, a bad culture. But, you know, that's that's quite a paternalistic view of the world, isn't mm. it? You know, like, you, you know, I think this is good, you will do this. Mm. Um, the most remarkable thing I saw was when we were creating our purpose together, you know, um, there are there are literally lines in the text that came from people in the business. You know, if I was one of those people, I would be reading that text and listening to that in the in the video and the audio and the graphics that we've done, and I would be able to see. I mean, it, it wasn't me because you know I was I was part of it, but yeah. you know, um, but I would be able to see the words I spoke or the words I wrote in yeah. that text. Yeah. That's incredibly powerful mm. because you know whether or not it's your words precisely or whether it's the person you work next to, you know that sense of we created it. Yeah. Um, you know, that shared ownership, you know, like this or lump, you know, like this or loathe this, um, we we have come to this together. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's absolutely owned. And, and it's been interesting to see how people have rallied in our organisation behind that purpose. Um, they call us, they call us out when it's not, <laughs> when we're not, we're not doing things that, that are supportive of it. Um, you know, so it, it's, I mean, it, it, and it's funny because after working in, in, in business for many, many years, you know, it's always something in, in, intrinsically that I've known, um, but it's amazingly powerful when you when you participate in it and when you watch it happen. Yeah. Um, because it just proves all the theory that you ever thought. Yeah. Um, 
obviously we understand people and culture are important in any organisation, but what challenges do businesses face in getting this right? Ah, many. There's a few. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's many. I mean, it's it's not it's it's not easy. You know, it yeah. takes it, it really takes energy. You know, and it, and it. You know, initially, I think it takes some zealots, um, you know, and, and I, I guess probably you can hear from, you know, I, I may may or may not have been one of those zealots. Um, I think the challenges are, one of the big challenges that quite often organisations leave this to an HR department. So that's good. Um, what, yeah. but, the, but the amount of energy that they can sustain is is limited um and i think it becomes really a secondary concern for the business if if you know 10 people or 20 people or two people or whatever their number is so does it work from top down basically so from the ceo through to the management and implementing that yes and you know i think you know in our organization peter bradford's been incredibly good at um you know i guess giving people the the sense that that is possible for us to do as a, as an organization you know he's certainly facilitated those you know that that process um so i so i think relegating it to one group you know whether it's hr whether it's innovation i, I don't know whatever you whatever whatever group you know draws the lucky card um is 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 a challenge um, I think that quite often organisations don't start with the end in sight. Now, you know, I, my caveat there is there really is never an end, but, you know, we work with a group of, of uh, you know, engineers and people that like definition. You know, at some point you can define the fact that we want to get to point B. Mm. Um, now, point B always moves, obviously, but, you know, if you don't start with the end in sight, what do we really want to achieve? What really enables our strategy? I think people get lost. Mm. And I think that is a challenge because I think when they're lost, they lose the energy, you know, they lose that forward motion. And then it just becomes another initiative that falls in a heap. Yeah. And especially Um, with, especially people are different as well. And obviously with mining companies, they have mine engineers, they have geologists, health and safety, and they're all different types of people. I mean, you might yeah. silo mine engineers as a particular type of person or geos as a particular person, and you're trying to bring everyone to a, a, a common goal, um, but yes. they've all got different types of personalities, not apart from individually, but each discipline as well has, has different... Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, and that that's not unique in this industry. You know, in in every organisation, you know, you have a melting pot of of, of styles and personalities. And um, you know, I mean, you've you've got creatives, and you've got people that like structure, and and yeah. and that, you know, everything in between. Um, and it, it's really about finding some common ground um, for them. Um, you know, I, I think quite often one of the challenges is that. Um, culture's not aligned it's it it just doesn't have a humanistic purpose you know from a meaning point of view there's no point you know that people don't organizations don't start with that purpose that really well-defined purpose in mind and so therefore everything you do just feels frivolous and 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 pointless um you know i it's uh, i think um you know, Simon Sinek's, you know, his, his whole concept of, you know, find your why, you know, from an organisational point of view, you need to have a why before there's a culture that can make sense of that. Yeah. 
Um, so that, that that's that's kind of thing. And and I think you know, as I've said before, I've said a number of times in this discussion, I think you know people just lose sight of the fact that you know strategy and culture have to go hand in hand. You know, you if you if you're developing a strategy and you're not doing anything with your culture, people are choosing a culture anyway. It just might be working against your yeah. strategy or in a different so, direction. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so so there, I, I think not taking care of those four things means that, you know, it, the, the sort of the cats can go off in different directions and it, and it's very hard to herd them back into mm. what, the, the one spot. Yeah. Talking obviously about culture, uh, what do most employees, I suppose, moan or complain about the most from your perspective about a company? So if obviously yeah. if everything's going well, that's good. You're not going to have many complaints. But if a company isn't doing too well, the culture isn't aligned. What things are they actually moaning about from your perspective, or whinging um, about? Whinging, yeah. Well, it's it's <laughs> yeah. You know, we whinge, don't we? You know, it's a um, uh, whether the culture's good or the culture's bad. Um, and you know, if we if we hark back to that, I don't agree with good or bad. But you know, if yeah. if, if that's the terminology you're going to use. Um, Enduringly, there are two things that people complain about in an organisation, and no matter no matter where I've been in my entire whole professional life, it's been about communication and change. Okay. Yep. Over and over and over. So, interestingly for me, the two are quite related. Um, you know, no, I, I've just got to say, no organisation that I've ever worked in has got it one hundred percent right. It's always a path, you know, you're always or, or a you're always somewhere on the continuum of, you know, fantastic change, terrible change management, fantastic communication, terrible communication, you know, and it moves. And the thing that's hard about both of those things that people whinge about is that it is absolutely a different lived experience for every single person. You know, what's fantastic for you might be just terrible for me and vice versa. So, you know, from a communication point of view, um, you know, we, we don't communicate enough. Um, you know, we don't tell people enough. We don't give them enough time to understand things. It's not timely. You know, it doesn't give them enough time to understand. It doesn't, doesn't give them enough time to prepare or, or you know, ask questions. Um, the message is not tailored or appropriate for the group of people. Um, the flow of the messaging is not right. So, you know, some messages go to some people, and this is not our organisation. I mean, you know, certainly certainly we're not perfect. You know, some goes to some people in the organisation, some doesn't, you know, and then there's a disconnect. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, we've spent a significant amount of time thinking about how do we provide information to people and communicate with people in a meaningful way at the same time, given the fact that people receive information differently, they need it packaged differently, some like the verbal, some like the non-verbal, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I think um, coordinating external messaging to the business, so, you know, reporting that we do to the ASX or to, you know, any of the industry bodies with internal messaging too, so that, you know, people in the organisation are hearing it, you know, at or before it goes externally so that they're equally as informed as people outside the organisation. There's nothing worse than people saying, I heard it from a friend's, a friend's, a friend's mother that, you know, we're about to, Chinese, I don't know, you know. Chinese whispers and it's not actually correct, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So universally, um, 
it's dif difficult. Uh, the, the final thing I would say about communi communication is that universally people don't think that it's two-way enough. Mm. So, you know, we've been guilty in the mining industry. Um, of, of we've, we've done a lot of telling to people as opposed to listening. Mm. Um you know, how do you get that balance between listening to people, incorporating that feedback um, and, and, and you know, using that, um, you know, in, in the strategies that you build or, you know, the comm strategies that, be, that you build or the culturing strategies that you build as opposed to just telling people from on high how it's going to be. Mm. So there are so many intricacies around communication. It is absolutely no wonder we never get it right. Um, I think sometimes we get it more right than others. We yeah. certainly put a lot of energy into it. Um, so universally, that's one, one grizzle. Um, second grizzle is how organisations manage change. So um, it, it's actually one of the topics that I'm talking about on a panel at, I, at the IMARC conference. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, as I've found the concept of or the topic of communication in organisations fascinating, managing change is fascinating too because for me the whole concept of change management is, is a bit flawed, you know. So change management assumes that I'm going to take um, a, a new thing in the organisation, whatever that is, and I'm going to somehow concoct a way of helping people in that organisation be entirely cool with the fact that I'm now getting them to do something that they either didn't know about before or they didn't want to do. Mm. So, um, you know, you, you start from a flawed, um, you know, perspective in terms of I'm going to move all of this body of people and, and they're all at some point going to love this or they're going to accept this or this, this change is going to be embedded in the organisation. I think fundamentally people don't like change. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a very difficult thing um, to do in terms of change, make changes in an organisation. So it is the thing that people complain about, you know. We, we didn't do it well enough. We didn't give people, and, you know, and you can see how it's connected to communication. You know, we haven't told people with enough, um, uh, with enough warning, you know. We, we haven't given them enough details, you know. They don't understand it. They haven't been part of it. Now, I think some of that's gone away from our organisation in the last couple of years because we've included people in a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, um, but it's such a balancing act for both topics. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, it literally is something that everybody has a view about and it's such such a unique perspective, you know. I, I can think that something was handled perfectly, you know, 10 people can think it was dreadful. Yeah. So they are the two things. Yeah. If I distill down, you know, 25 or 30 years worth of experience, it's the they're the two hardest things. They're harder than changing culture. Yeah. And I suppose yep. looking at two different scenarios where this would be, again, I think different, if a company brought in a new management team, for instance, so mm -hmm. there's going to be a big change there, as opposed to two companies amalgamating together, bringing two cultures together, and then trying to manage that. And I imagine, I don't know, have you been through it, a scenario where that's happened, where you've had two different companies come together, yes. then go into the one office, and then try and manage that? Because I imagine that's a lot harder than just ha having, a, I suppose, a management change where new management come in and have different ideas and then trying to implement that. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, you know, I guess my experience, I mean, you know, yes, I have in, in, in previous in lives, but certainly within IGO, um, you know, I think about the 
um, you know, the the two acquisitions that I've been part of at IGO. So I came into IGO um, when um, IGO acquired Jabiru Metals. So I worked for Jabiru Metals. I came into the organisation through that. Um, you know, the way um, we, um, I, I guess, thought about managing change in that acquisition, albeit that I was acquired at that point, um, was quite different to how we... Um, viewed and how we managed the acquisition when we um, acquired serious resources. You know, we yeah, yeah. we spent a lot of time with that. You know, we even I mean, and, and not that you can do this every single time you make an acquisition, but we because that was transformation to, uh, transformational to us. We we rebranded at the time so that we brought the two companies together, um, or it certainly brought those people into what became quite a different entity at that point and we have done lots of work on culture since then um i, I would say you know in terms of, of you know the, there's always an interesting dynamic with um you know the acquirer versus the acquired in in a in an acquisition you know it's um there's there's been many smarter people than me write about this you know over the last you know 10 15 20 25 years um I think there's a psychology of acquisition that's really interesting because you know it's it's it, it takes a very skilled group of people to do that perfectly, mm. um, but you know there are some things if if you know once again I would go back to you know conscious culturing you know if if you're acquiring an entity um, and you're going to you know actually want to include those people into the culture that you have. Um, you need to make some plans in terms of how you're going to do that. It, it, it's not just going to happen by osmosis. Mm. Um, and and there may well be many things about the culture that there is, the existing culture that you want to bring into the new. So how do you capture that? You know, how do you cross-fertilise that? I think that's really a challenge, even more of a challenge if you do not have a very keen sense of who you are to begin with and have an action plan in the middle because I think... You know, once again, you have no path. You will get lost in that process. Yeah. And I think it's an important subject because it seems to be the market at the moment. There seems to be quite a bit of M&A activity. Um, and that's probably still going to continue for the foreseeable future. So I think this this sort of subject is pretty important. And um, hopefully whoever's listening to this um, obviously takes takes some notes from it. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's been, it, you know, all over the world it's been done well yeah. and it's been done poorly. Um, you know, I, I guess the whole the whole thing is that, you know, as an organisation you need to learn, you need to be, you know, warts and all review of what you've done, you know, yeah. what went well, what did not, you know, yeah. and, and it seems a very simple um, self-evident, obvious thing to say, but, you know, so the old concept of a you know a post action review you know people don't do them yeah, yeah. well and I suppose take it seriously as well and not think people will just automatically uh, dance to your tune and people will just mix together because they don't and I think it needs people especially um, heads of organisations that are going to be merging need to sit down put a plan together get some specialist yes. help um, and try and do the best they can um, to obviously have that better culture. Yeah, I mean, people people are tribal, you know. Mm. They they uh, you know humans are tribal. You know, they mm. they like you know identifying with a group of people that they see as as themselves. Yeah. And you know, you create a culture, you create a tribe, 
um, you know, that can be hard to morph, that can be hard to undo, you know. So that's why that concept of conscious culturing becomes critical because you need to be careful of what you're headed to. You need to know that that's what you want it to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Concluding, how do you how do you think mining companies should improve their culture within their organisations? What things should they be looking for initially if they were going to say from tomorrow we're going to have a look at this seriously? What do you think they should be looking at? Uh, two things for me. Um, so I think they need to be serious about co-creation. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just don't think there's a point to this if you are not a group of people who are emotionally mature enough to be able to do that. Um, you need to ask the question, you need to be able to listen. And I think, you know, um, for mining companies in particular, well, um, remote work, anybody that's got a remote workforce needs to flesh out um, how you do this, how you co-create this, um, and, you know, how you transfer that between people when you're not around. So, you know, how do you... Um, how do you take what the the tribe thinks and how do you ensure that that's embedded, you know, in, in terms of what what strategy that enables? Uh, and then I think, you know, to facilitate all of that, you need, and, and this is, I mean, you know, forgive me for saying this because this is a bit of a cliche, but you need to look at your leadership throughout the business because if those people are working against, if, if they're not emotionally mature enough, to be able to deal with people being of working together and co-creating, um, you are really sunk before you start yeah. because you know it takes a quite a mature leader to be able to listen to people that they work with, um, and and actually take those ideas and run with them as a group. I mean, obviously it's not a free for all, yeah. but to be able to listen and to kind of um, I guess distill you know the essence of all of that and actually make that be something at an organisational level. Um, what I see, or not so much now actually, but you know what I've seen or what I saw in when I originally came into mining was you know a very very much a command and control model. Um, you know, and that, that doesn't work with co-creation because yeah. that assumes the person in command is the one in control. Um, so, you know, I think there's that there's a kind of a competitive tension between co-creation and control. You know, yeah. how do you how do you how do you breed leaders and grow them so that they are able to deal with that? You know, and nurture that so that people feel like they are part of or they're contributing to part of that shared you know, created sort of reality. Yeah. So I, I would say it's those two things, you know, mm-hmm. if mining companies, if all companies could somehow reach some form of, you know, utopia with that, um, you know, they would be better companies. But, you know, you could say that across the entire world. You know, yeah. nations would be better. <laughs> yeah. Especially with what's happening now at the moment. As well. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. Well, thank you, Sam, for um, taking the time to do this podcast. Um, hopefully the audience have got great value from this. I certainly have. Um, if they want to contact you to ask, obviously ask any questions around change management and people and culture, how can they go about doing that? Um, so look, I'm more than happy that people email me. So, um, uh, my, uh, do you want me to give my email yeah, address? That, that, that's fine. Yeah. If you don't mind people emailing you. 
No, no. Uh, so it's Sam, S-A-M dot Retallick, R-E-T-A-L-L-A-C-K at igo.com.au. Yeah. And the caveat on that is, you know, I don't profess to know, uh, you know, I am I am not the font of all knowledge, but I, I you know, I, I really do think that our journey has been interesting. Um, and, you know, from a humanistic point of view, I, I think it's... Um, you know, I, I, I'm happy to share the story because I think, you know, some things we've done well and some things, you know, yeah, look, if we did them again, we'd probably choose to do them differently. Yeah. But people may be having similar challenges or, or come to a roadblock where they just need, have you, they may ask you, have you been, have you been at this situation? And if so, how did yeah. you overcome it? And you may have already gone through that and obviously hopefully provide some advice. Um, are you sure. on any social media platforms? Yep, certainly. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, uh, and and that I, I guess from a social media point of view, that's the one that I use most of all. Yeah. Okay. No worries. Yep. Um, well, if you'd like to hear more from Sam, um, she will be on a panel of speakers on two occasions um, at the IMAC Theatre. Uh, sorry, IMAC Conference. Um, and two of the uh, um, discussions are going to be what stops us from implementing change in our workforce, um, and another discussion is. How do we overcome the non-technical issues to achieve business transformation, innovation and a workforce of the future? So come along to the International Mining Resources Conference in Melbourne from the 29th to 31st of October. Um, all Dig Deep listeners can receive 10% off tickets when you register with a discount code Dig Deep in capital letters. Um, if that doesn't work, please, uh, please let me know. Um, but for details, check out the show notes accompanying um, this podcast. Um, and again, if you have any issues, you can reach out to myself. Um, and my email address is rob at mining-international.org. Thank you again for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. And until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.